in a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. I'm excited to bring you this episode. As I've mentioned in the past, adventure looks different for everyone, and using the simple definition of a new or slightly risky experience still drives home this theme this week. And actually, it drives home a lot of themes, but I think this week was one for me that I'm not good at, right? <laughs> and it's sometimes a reminder of the things you're not good at or the things I might want to explore, And on this episode, we'll be talking a little bit about edible landscapes, or sometimes that might be referred to as gardening or foraging. And for some reason, when I think of these concepts, I get reminded of two things. Number one, that I have these amazing brown thumb capabilities, (laughs) meaning, you know, just gardening in general has not been a strength of mine. I overlook the idea that it takes daily or at least weekly attention to maintain and to allow these plants to thrive. We also have to combat the wildlife that is constantly roaming in our backyards. And so the idea of maintaining a garden has long been a challenge for me. It's a desire, but it's been a challenge. I'm also reminded that I don't stay home very well. (laughs) So tending to a garden or having someone tend to our garden for us so that we can get the products that we need is sometimes difficult. So I've just learned through my own experience that outsourcing this to skilled Neighbors, friends, family, farmers in our area is really where I tend to thrive. Secondly, when I think of foraging wild plants and flowers to eat, I'm reminded of Chris McCandless, who is the character that is in the book Into the Wild by John Krakauer. And without giving a spoiler alert, foraging can create fear and eating the correct things or mixing the wrong things to create a cocktail that might offer less than desirable impact. We recently were in northern Minnesota in a state park. And on the website, one of the list of activities was foraging. So I was pretty excited. I was exploring different berries and mushrooms. And in the end, I will just say that northern Minnesota, if you aren't aware, has been cursed, blessed. I'm not sure how they're looking at it right now with considerable amount of rain. So there's quite a bit of flooding, actually. And the mosquitoes really were the deciding factor in our foraging success or lack thereof. But it certainly is something I want to continue to explore. I want to, you know, consider how we might grow or eat edible landscapes in the future. What things are edible? What does it taste like? I think a lot of times we allow fear to take over and we lose sight of what the opportunity is. On a fun note, my mom has gotten really involved a little bit more into gardening and foraging and really understanding what can be eaten and and created from those edibles. And so she made us dandelion jam and cookies earlier this year, and they were so delicious. So I am definitely excited. I do want to get over my own personal fear and inability or my mindset that I'm not good enough at gardening to do it. So I am curious about how this might evolve for us and what our story might look like. But this episode also reminded me that, you know, sometimes even I am not always 
forecasting the simple things in life that are adventurous. And I think I try to do that really well in the podcast, but I'm often reminded that I love to go to these complicated, more epic things, even in my own life. And often they're more elaborate or require considerable planning. So I also just want to bring you back. At the beginning of this year, I offered a I created like a little mini escape from 2021. And at the end of it were 50 plus ways to have simple family adventures. And so I want to offer that to you guys. If you are looking for just some simple ways to adventure, maybe it's not a garden, maybe it's not foraging, but there are some really fun, simple things that we can do to have a new or different or somewhat risky experience. And you can get that by going to ordinarysherpa.com backslash free. Our guest today, we're a couple from Florida with two basset hounds and a binder of gardening opportunities set off an adventure in search of the best place to cultivate the land. They landed in Burnsville, West Virginia, not likely on anyone's bucket list or destination of choice. But what happens when your backyard is the retreat and the adventure that you seek? With a desire to teach edible landscaping and embark on projects such as building an outdoor pizza oven, they have turned their homestead into a growing portfolio of simple, everyday adventures. Tony Slaybaugh is a friend whom I've met through the podcasting world and now a member of the Platform Launchers community, which I'll link that in the show notes, is developing a space at home and online to help us all be better neighbors, get our hands dirty, and fall back in love with the magic of the natural world. Tony, it's such an honor to have you. Thank you so much for joining us today on Ordinary Sherpa. Hello, Heidi, and all who are listening. Heidi is my Sherpa friend extraordinaire. That is what I refer to her. I realize that her platform is Ordinary Sherpa, and I just love the concept. I love what you're doing there, Heidi. And uh, what do you want to know? Yeah, so let's talk about this initial journey. Like, what inspired you and your wife to pack up your dogs and maybe talk about this binder? this binder of gardening opportunities that you had developed. Tell me more about like, how did that evolve? And what really was the impetus behind getting in the van and heading north? The impetus probably would go all the way back to when we were dating. And my wife, her name is Ain, uh, my beautiful bride of 27 years. She knew exactly what she wanted in a husband. She knew what she wanted in her life. She knew what kind of animals, plants she wanted to raise, and she wanted to be able to do all those things. And she started setting timelines. So over the years, she has constantly built these different binders, whether they be three rings, spiral, journals, however you want to document that. She has done that over the years, and we had a good construction business. That is my background, building contractor, and so we always looked at it, and I would say, Ain, at times, she would go out and do the consult. Sometimes she would do a consult and a design, and then sometimes it was a consult design, and then I would get to build it. So we had that type of relationship in business at home. We had an edible landscape. We grew pretty much everything we could there in Florida. We had one acre. We were able to have chickens on the property the way it was zoned. And I just loved being able to drive the lawnmower around because down there, you pretty much mow the yard 12 months out of the year. Mm, yeah. Up here, you only do it about two months out of the year <laughs> because you let the animals take care of the rest of it. Yeah. But uh, that binder was something that she had been putting together. And as a couple, 
she and I would always take one or two times a year and sit down and say, what do we want it to look like in the future? Where do we want to be? What do we want to do? And one of those things was we wanted to see the apple trees grow. And being a part of uh, central Florida along the West Coast, we could not grow apple trees. That was something she wanted to be able to grow. She wanted to be able to grow lavender and some other items as well. And so she developed the three ring binder. And in essence, it said, I always put it as a shortcut, no hurricanes, no lizards, no fire ants. And uh, we wanted to be around water. Oh, interesting. And so those were the items that we had. And the business had done well. But we wanted to see the apple trees grow while we were still young, and we felt as though in our early 30s, that was a good time to start and take a trip. So you land in West Virginia. Was that the plan, or what drew you to West Virginia? How did you end up there? One of the other items was she looked at the amount of days for growing season, as well as the amount of days that were over 80 degrees. And so with those things in mind, we looked at Tennessee all the way up through Maine. When we were dating, we actually had a piece of property. Obviously, we couldn't buy it. We weren't married. But we had a piece of property that we were looking at Nova Scotia. And there was an apple orchard and all this stuff. It was just beautiful. But we were just too young and weren't ready, had college and things to do. But uh, her sister was living in Tennessee at the time. And we went up to visit and we had the dogs with us and our house, we did sell the house. And so we were able to take a trip and we said, we're going to go up and we're going to see what's available and we'll go from there. We didn't know what we were going to do, where we were going to land, but we went into Tennessee, Virginia, and then we came into West Virginia and we really didn't know a whole lot about the area other than the maps and the listings and some of the natural recreation things and opportunities that were here. And we were like, wow, this is like a hidden gem. We ended up traveling pretty much around the entire state and ended up right in the heart of West Virginia. We're conveniently just over a mile off the interstate and just a little over a mile from a 12,000 acre Army Corps wildlife management area. And we happen to live right along the river downstream from the dam. Yeah, I love this because I think, you know, we often feel like we have to figure it out before we go, right? Even if it's a trip, we have to know where we're going and where we're staying. And I just love the adventure just in exploring. I wrote down the criteria. So you want to go where you can see the apple trees grow, the number of days in the growing season and the number of days above 80 degrees north of Tennessee. Like that opens up a lot of options. It's so awesome. And by water, I think that was another one, right? So it's really fascinating to me that you've landed and you decide to build this property. And you mentioned something that I don't really know much about. And I have a feeling my listeners would be very curious, but let's talk a little bit more about edible landscaping. What exactly is that? And what are some of the crops or some of the herbs and flowers and things that you started with? So may I ask you a quick question? Sure. Have you ever had a rose that you've eaten the petals from? No, I've never eaten the petals from a rose. How about spring violets? No. 
These are the type of things that we want people to know and learn about. There is so much in the landscape, Heidi, and this is not just West Virginia. We grew these type of things down in Florida as well. Every landscape out there, you have natives, you have indigenous people, this entire Appalachian region where we are at, you have a culture of people who prior to what we refer to as farming the land, Mm -hmm. people who lived off of the land, everything from pine trees where you can have pine nuts to pawpaws, which is the most northern tropical fruit that is growing in the United States. These things are out there. They're available in the landscape. Elderberries, they were naturally here on the property when we moved in. And there were some old apple trees that you just don't find in the stores anymore. They are heirloom trees. And we actually purchased quite a few, a small orchard worth of apple, cherry, pear, nectarine trees. And I will say, without having everything planned perfectly, because nature will do its thing, some of them have not made it. We've been here 16 years, and some of them haven't, but some of them have thrived. Some of them we've had to get additional pollinators for. We've had a cherry tree that's grown. It's probably 25 feet tall. We've gotten maybe one or two cherries off of it, and Yet now we have another pollinator cherry, and this year it is just full. I know you've tapped maple trees. Mm -hmm. That's an edible. Birch trees. You can do so much in the landscape where you are able to grow things, not only in a square box, formal, or cottage-style garden, but you can grow things in the landscape from berries. My wife makes all kinds of teas. The lavender that we grow, we make teas. We actually have a little still. That's part of the business that we have here on the farm. Technically, we are listed as a farm. We have an LLC. And so there are some things that we're able to sell in-state the way the regulations are. And there's other things that we can sell or provide across borders as well. But what does an edible landscape mean to us? It's pretty much looking for things that can grow with very little input from you, the individual. Companion planting, having plants that actually will thrive off of each other, where you have some that are lower in height, some that are taller that provide the shade, it is seasonal planting. When we talk about edible landscapes, it's not just simply a spring or summer garden, putting out garden, as they would say. These are things that we can grow throughout the entire year and even get started in the winter. We do have a small greenhouse. We do bring plants in the winter. Here in West Virginia, we will get two inches of snow and slush and mud. We might get 19 or 20 where we're at. But there's four seasons here, and we can plant throughout the year as long as in the wintertime, we have a little bit more maintenance that you might consider. But the landscape, we want people to be able to learn, know, and enjoy that you can have a spring roll in the spring that includes petals from flowers, little stems, pea shoots, all kinds of little microgreens. And it will look and taste like nothing you're going to get in a typical chain restaurant. Yeah. 
I mean, we just sit there and we look at the plates sometimes. My wife takes pictures of so much of this and puts it on our social media. People just love her for that. And I just always respond, you know, yummy. It was so delicious or whatever I have to say about that particular meal. But we just try to do that. And I can't say that everything we eat and ingest comes from our property. We're not there yet. We are not fully sustainable. There's different techniques that we're continuing to grow and improve upon. We do have a small aquaponic system. That's something that we did in Florida as well, where it's not only hydroponics where you're growing plants in water, but we are actually using fish as well in our system because they provide the nutrients for the plants and the cycle just, I mean, the plants just grow crazy when you have a great balance. That is so fascinating. I am so excited that you shared all of this because first of all, now I feel like I have some deep dive research to do (laughs) and just in time. So while we're recording this, I have not officially set off on our summer adventures, but one of the locations that we're going to in northern Minnesota, they're really well known for like foraging and edible landscapes. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need to talk to Tony. (laughs) What do I need to know before we go? Because I want to make a like a whole almost like a homeschool lesson on our our week that we're there just to explore it a little bit further. I've only done like wild berries and yeah, we do maple syrup. I've done birch syrup, but it's just fascinating when you open the world. My mom just made dandelion jam for the first time and I was shocked at how sweet and delicious it was. (laughs) I don't know what I expected, but I was like, why do we mow these things down? These are good. (laughs) I've got a takeaway for you, and I know you incorporate takeaways into your podcast. So consider this in your research. What are you buying now that you and your family enjoy? And this is not just for you, Heidi, but I am speaking to you at the moment. What do you guys buy at the store, the berries, the different salads, the type of greens? What do you buy now, and what do those taste or flavors represent to you? What do each of you like about them? And then take that and you can do a simple internet search and you can look for something. Can I grow this in my area? Or what would be a native substitute for this item? And you can look up something that would grow in your respective area that you might be able to grow inside, in a greenhouse, on a log. For instance, we have mushroom logs, and we also have mushrooms in the landscape. Mushrooms are something where you have to know what you're doing. There can be a lot of research before you just go out in the woods or forest and start foraging. But that's what I would suggest to you is as you're trying to think about what can you do, What are the taste and flavor profiles that you already like? What are things visually that you like or maybe you've seen and you just haven't maybe taken the time to look at what is in that? Mm -hmm. And then when you look at that and you find out, then you realize that's something that you want to give a try. I love that. I appreciate that. And I definitely am going to use that as a key Not only just a key takeaway for the episode, but also just a key takeaway in life that I can use to build out some of our activities and just self-directed learning that we can do around it. I love that. I really appreciate that. 
I want to talk a little bit more as we talk about living off of the land and some of the ways you are cultivating the space that you have. You know, I think I started by saying, you know, you really are the epitome of simple backyard adventures. <laughs> I love to talk a little bit more when you're not cultivating or planting or pulling weeds. What kinds of things are you doing? What other opportunities are you developing through the land or what are you doing in your neighborhood that could help my listeners better understand what are simple backyard adventures? It's basically taking time, setting aside time, even like for this evening and some of the other creative things that I do online. I have two nights a week that I set aside. Basically, right now, it's Tuesdays and Thursdays. You have to dedicate time for those things you want to do. I know that it's set out there. If you really want to do something, you'll spend money on it. You don't always have to spend money on it. You just have to allocate time. There are times when you do want to spend money on it, and you need to, in order to further create an adventure or have something maybe a little different than what you normally do. But I do have a commute to work. I do work throughout the day, and then I come home. I have the evenings. My wife is here on the farm as of this year, 2022. She's here full time. And so daily, she is going outside and documenting what we have, what's growing, what the animals are doing. We incubate for the chickens and ducks as well. The sheep were just sheared. That's a natural event for us once a year, uh, whether we have individuals come in and help or this year we started out on our own with the shearing. But it's taking time for those items. We just look for opportunities. If it's going to be a nice spring or summer day and it's not going to rain, that's a picnic day. That's a time when the plum tree is in bloom and it's only going to be there for maybe a week or so. And we want to go out there, put down our picnic blanket that we've had for almost 30 years, and just sit there and listen to the bees, watch the bees and the butterflies and anything else that is moving out there. Those are the little moments that you have to take time and make time for, even if you are working off-site. Our plan, our goal is to have both of us here on site. We do have a 10-year, 5-year, 3-year plan, so to speak, for what we want to do and how that's going to be accomplished. We thought when we first moved up here, that we would just throw some cabins up on the hillside and we'd start with what then was everybody still turned bed and breakfast. Hmm. And uh, now there's another name out there that everybody's well known that a lot of hosts utilize. But then we started thinking, we don't really want people up behind us at the moment. Yeah. We want to enjoy what we've just moved on to. And so we have enjoyed it for 15 years, but we're now at the point we have a little over 33 acres. We purchased almost three more across the river, and that's where we're going to do some more of the commercial. So when it's a nice day and winter is breaking, we go out, we set up flags, we set up flags for all sorts of things, and those flags might be there for a month or two. Understand that when you're building something, one of the things that we consider is it doesn't have to happen tomorrow. This is long term. I'm now 51. 
I still have half my life ahead of me. Lord willing, we're still here. This is what we're going to do. So we want to plant so that we can see things grow. We want to build structures so that things can grow. We were not blessed with children ourselves, but we have eight nephews currently. And so eventually family, family that already lives on the property, family that could potentially have a part of the property down the road, we want to build something that's going to last. And if it's not for family down the road, as we pass on, it's going to be here for somebody else. No different than that original property that we looked at at Nova Scotia. The husband and wife were elderly. They had a mature apple orchard, but they needed to leave that lifestyle. At some point, we may have a change like that. Mm -hmm. And so we want to be able to pass it on to another young couple or middle-aged couple that may be entering early retirement and they want to do something now and be able to enjoy the fruits of somebody else's labor and get to tinker with things themselves. How you do that also is you document what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, good point. When we moved here in 2006, I mean, my goodness, YouTube was just coming out at that point. And we dropped cable, we dropped satellite, we dropped everything except for internet. And we were one of those first households that was just literally cell phone. We had a landline just because it was so inexpensive here to have. And we just streamed. We streamed and we learned and we documented back then. You would have thought we would have had a channel back then, but we didn't. <laughs> yeah. But we have books and we have photos and some videos and all of that eventually will get compiled and some of it will get shown throughout our online endeavors. But that's what we're doing one day at a time, long-term plan. And we realize that it's flexible too. It's nature. Things will change. And so we go with that, but we are here to be good stewards. And so we also want to manage and we want to guide that as well, because in that guiding, in that direction, we're learning along the way. And I think that is a part of the process, is continuing to learn. We enjoy that. We enjoy it so much. And so we have been abroad. This year, well, last year, my parents celebrated their 50th anniversary. With COVID, we couldn't go anywhere together. But this year, as a family, we're all going away together in the States. But we like to travel, and yet we know that we don't have to anymore because we have so much here that we can do. When we moved here, individuals would ask, why'd you move here? And I would look at them and say, well, why haven't you left? Yeah, good answer. And they would look back at me and they say, uh-huh. Yeah, good <laughs> answer. It's because there was a secret. It's not a secret, but it is kind of a secret. And West Virginia is full of natural resources, natural beauty. We have all kinds of things you can do, whether it be the commercial ski lodges or zip lines. We have New River Gorge. That's the newest state park in our United States. It's the 63rd National Park. And so there's so much to do here. And yet a lot of people around here stay at home. And that's okay. 
Yeah. Because there's things you can do. You do this. I see this. Yeah. I know you travel, but you also do these things. I see the posts that you have with your family on your family property. And there's so much we can do at home. It's about allocating time and just enjoying what you've been given. Oh, Tony, that is such a thoughtful reflection, too. So I don't know that I've actually ever talked about this on the podcast. I want to go back to something you were talking about quite a while ago with hydroponics and aquaponics. I grew up on a trout farm Mm -hmm. and it's been a three generation, right? Yeah, I think it's three generations. And that's really like the origin story of my family where my parents met and, you know, learning about the farm. But I would say that the challenge has been is they have not documented, right? And now my parents want to retire and there's just so much that we don't know as kids. I mean, kids, I'm saying like adult children, that it's hard to figure out what do we do with it now? And I love that you're being thoughtful about documenting the things that are going on each day. And that you recognize that there's a secret. There's a secret in being home because there's something about finding a place where you feel like you are at home. And I do travel, but I was just talking about this this week. I said I travel, but travel helps me appreciate home because when I come home, I'm like, whereas, you know, I get sick of home too and I want to go explore the world and see other things. So it's interesting, the dichotomy between, you know, home is really where stories are made. And there is so much opportunity to explore in your own backyard. Let's dive a little bit deeper into some of the things that you were working on. I know you have this outdoor pizza oven. I just have to ask. So you built this (laughs) outdoor pizza oven. How's it going? Any tips on that? And and why the outdoor pizza oven? What was what was the impetus behind the outdoor pizza oven? And I want to know, what does it taste like? Is it better pizza? I'm assuming so. Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for asking. So we have a garden that is situated pretty much across the lane from us. And the greenhouse is within the garden. And then over to the right side of that, I'm painting a picture for everyone. Sure. We are building a workshop. I mentioned that my wife's parents decided to move on the property with us. And so they have a small cabin here and we are building a workshop together that will serve the entire farm as well as uh, quite personally myself and my father-in-law. And so with that, there's a space between the garden and the workshop and we're going to have an outdoor pavilion uh, that will probably seat 20 or 30 people before the workshop and the building were going to get built because that's time and money. Uh, everything is, of course. What was the easiest thing to build? A pizza oven. And in all of the different creative things that Ain comes up with for meals, we have simply been incorporating non bread. Have you ever had non bread? It's like a flat bread. Yes, I love okay. it. Yes. We get non bread all the time from one of the uh, big club stores. And we have pizzas all throughout the year on the non-bread. So whether they're homegrown mushrooms or herbs or you name it, all of that, or if I get a little prosciutto uh, on there, we've had that for so long. But here in central West Virginia, there aren't as many places around 
as far as restaurants go that we were used to in the South, and we have to drive a little farther. So to drive 45 minutes to get a coal-fired or wood-fired pizza, we're not necessarily going to do that, even though for some people that's just five minutes across town because of all the traffic. That's what we escaped from. And so having a pizza wood-burning oven here on the property That was just kind of a first step into being able to offer and have things available down the road on the commercial side. One of the questions would be is, did you have plans? Uh, Not really. Uh, I knew of the products. I mentioned I've been in construction. So just give me stuff to work with and I will build something. That's what I do. We have natural stones here on the property. They just creep up everywhere. And so it is somewhat of a domed pizza oven. And we built a nice little concrete platform and we have some places to store wood. And then we want to do a little smoker over on the right side. But rather than a Pompeii half circle, so to speak, a Mm -hmm. half sphere, Mm -hmm. we went with a just a barrel style. And it's not the most efficient. It's taking me around an hour, hour 15 to get it heated up. But I do need to have some more seasoned wood as well. We had a pizza oven and the wood wasn't seasoned, so it takes a little bit longer. But to be able to just sit there and have the river literally 50 feet away from us and just envision being able to do that in the future, there's a little fire ring there, fire pit that we can sit out on summer days. One of the nice things is the noise pollution, the light pollution is like, there's not much of it here. So we can see so many stars and you can see the hint of the Milky Way. And just to be able to go out there around the fire pit and have a nice pizza. One of the things I want to be able to do and I'm keeping track of is retaining the heat once we're finished so that the next morning, maybe making bread or rolls, pastries. That's something that I want to tinker with. This is not the end all be all of pizza ovens, but it serves us and we can get three or four 12-inch pizzas in there. And just this last round, I made the best pizza my father-in-law has had from the pizza oven. So thank you, Porter. I am getting better (laughs) in his words. And so it's a learning experience. That's what it is. My mouth is watering. I love wood-fired pizzas. It's like one of my favorite things. And it's funny because you said you're like painting me a picture here. And I was like closing my eyes and just thinking, oh my gosh, I can just imagine sitting on this property. It feels like such a retreat location. Like I just, I want to come there and hang out. (laughs) You are invited. And I think, yes, you know, we kind of joked about this sometime in the future. I would love to have like an ordinary Sherpa retreat on your property. It just sounds just delightful. And there's plenty of adventures. So it's just kind of fun to think like that, to dream a little bit, right? It is. And that's the concept is to think about the future. It's always good to be able to do that. My wife is a goal setter. She's a planner. I look at a bigger picture sometimes, but I don't always do every single step very quickly. I'm a little bit slower, whereas She's definitely more methodical about, okay, have we achieved this? Have we achieved this? And Mm -hmm. she is the driver. And I appreciate that uh, because I'm more of the the free bird and just 
well, let's do this this weekend. (laughs) Oh, we really need to do this on property. Right, we do. And then I enjoy it so much that we've actually done that. And why did I want to go in the first place? And so those are the things that we're doing. And certainly one of our long-term goals is on the commercial side to have a place, a area for workshops, for trainings, whether we do some of the trainings ourselves or we bring in guest speakers or be able to hold some corporate or family events where we have some of those lodging opportunities. Whether that's 10 years from now, five or 15, it's a process. Mm -hmm. And so the next goal is to have both of us here on the property so we can devote fully to what we're doing here. You just have to continue each day one step at a time. Just keep moving forward. I love it. I love it. And I'm so excited to see how this dream unfolds. Tony, it has been so lovely talking with you, learning about edible landscaping, imagining this pizza sitting by the fire. I just, I want it now. I know you talked a little bit about your wife posts every day. Can you tell us where she posts and how people can follow you and learn more about the work that you're doing? Sure, I'd be happy to. Our farm is called In the Nook Farm, I-N-T-H-E-N-O-O-K-F-A-R-M. And so that's inthenookfarm.com. We do have a website and you can look us up. We have a page on Facebook and she posts every day. At the very beginning of COVID, it was laid on her heart to put out a encouraging post each and every day. There's scripture but typically we get comments on the encouragement, but we also get comments on all the farm musings and postings uh, that she does. So Facebook, we're there. Instagram, we are there as well. And we also have a YouTube channel. We haven't put too much on there, uh, but we do have some things there as well, in the nookfarm.com. And then did we talk about my podcast at all? No, we didn't yet. Oh my okay. gosh, no. Yes, let's talk about your podcast. I'm sorry, I got so excited about all the other stuff. So how Heidi and I met was through a group where we were growing all together. And of course, we're here on Ordinary Sherpa today. And the platform that I've been developing is called Hello Good Neighbor. And so I do have a podcast. And it started out more as a relational podcast, talking about just little vignettes and stories in life musings that I come up with. I have had some interviews on the platform, on the podcast. You can hear it where most podcasts are available. Hello, Good Neighbor. And it's going to transition. It is transitioning over into more of what we do here at the farm. And it's just the concept of the old golden rule. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's a little bit more behind the Hello, Good Neighbor name, but uh, it's just part of what we do here and another branch of the identity that we're building and stewardship, giving, lifestyle living, all of what we do and enjoy. And I hope each and every one of you out there listening today and in the future takes a moment, takes an opportunity to consider the things that you can do, not only for yourselves. What we're doing here on the farm, it's not just for ourselves. It's about serving others Hello, good neighbors about serving others. We're doing it because we enjoy it. It just comes out of our bones, out of our being. And yet 
to be able to give that to others and be an encouragement and maybe even learn how to make a spring roll with what's growing on your land. You know, it's the simple things. And so that's what we enjoy doing. Oh, Tony, I could listen to you for hours. If you go to his podcast, he's just like the most delightful person to listen to. As you can hear, one of the most generous, caring, and thoughtful people I have met. It has been such an honor to get to know you through the podcasting space. And I've loved to see your brand develop. I'm so excited. You know, we got talking about the personal stuff today, but I'm really excited about your podcast and where you want to go with things. I am definitely intrigued and I can't wait to see this grow. So in the show notes, everybody, I'm going to include all of those links and I would encourage you to head over and listen a little bit more to Tony at Hello Good Neighbor on the podcast. Leave him a review, follow, subscribe, all the things. You're on a podcast right now. And Tony, just thank you. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, to connect and to really dig in. I guess that's a little punny (laughs) Um, to dig into (laughs) the opportunities that, you know, are just in our own backyards that we don't have to always go somewhere to find this adventure that you can dig in the dirt and experience the magic of our natural world. And there's so much more to explore and learn that you've inspired me today, even to dig into and, and learn more about the tastes and flavors and where I might find local edibles that fill our tummies. (laughs) Thank you, Heidi. The honor and pleasure is all mine. I mean, we've planted this seed for this conversation two years ago, and the timing's right. When a plant emerges from the ground, the timing's right. And for us to finally be able to do this, I just appreciate the opportunity, and I hope your listeners just continue to enjoy and appreciate what you're doing out there for the space for them and to have on different points of view and things as simple as this. It's just awesome. I mean, you're you're just, you're a rock star. I can see people nodding their heads. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Blushing. Thank you, Tony. I could talk to this man for days. I seriously find him so fascinating, so calming. And the way they are going about life is one that really intrigues me. So I have 10 key takeaways for this episode. Number one, fill a binder with your dreams and design the criteria for you, the action that you want to take. In Tony and Ain's case, the dream was to see the apple trees grow. And the criteria was no hurricanes, no lizards or fire ants, and in a location near water. Number two, have you ever eaten a rose petal? Have you ever eaten anything? Fill in the blank. People have lived off the land long before conventional farming existed. Number three, the growing season is a year-round affair with four seasons. Using strategies like companion planting and seasonal planting, they are able to adapt to nature's tendencies. Number four, what are you buying right now? What are the tastes and flavors that those items represent? There is a native substitute for everything. Number five, seize the opportunity. The plum trees only bloom for a week. A great day calls for a picnic to enjoy the blooms, the buzzing insects, and the glory of a simple day. Number six, document your journey in whatever format works for you. Handing your legacy down in notes and pictures to support the next generation also plants a seed that allows it to grow. Number seven, Wood Fire Pizza was a 45-minute drive, so they built their own pizza oven now to create some of the best pizza his father-in-law has ever tasted. 
How can you use the simple things that you love and enjoy to inspire designing an adventure in your own backyard? Number eight, imagine eating that delicious pizza while listening to a stream with virtually no sound pollution or light pollution to inhibit your view of the stars. Number nine, did he just paint the picture of a future ordinary Sherpa retreat? I think a seed was just planted. Never dead. When asked, why did you move here? He responded with, why haven't you left? Finding the hidden gems, the people, and the natural wonders of a community is what makes West Virginia the perfect neighborhood for them. It has been so fun having this conversation. Again, you can find Tony on the links in the show notes. Until next time, I can't wait to hear about all of your adventures. Keep on adventuring. We'll be in touch next week. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. Subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.